Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. My message this morning, I want to begin with a familiar statement we all make. How many of us have at any time said these words? I promise. Anyone? You said, I promise. Come on, put up your hand if you have. Yeah. We've all heard this phrase time and again, either from others or sometimes from our own lips. Have you ever had someone make you a promise that they never kept? Come on. I'm glad to know there are many normal people here this morning. Have you ever made a promise to someone you never kept? No, that's hard, right? Thank you for the honest people. Have you ever made a promise either to someone else or perhaps even to yourself that you never kept? Well, the hands have stopped going out, going up. Someone, I, I like this very simple poem. Someone who uh, went through the pain of a broken promise penned these words. It's quite sad how people make promises about the future because they have no idea what happens in the future. People say things like, I will always love you. You know, famous song. I will always be here for you. Things will get better. I promise. But it's six months later. You don't love me. You aren't here for me. And things haven't gotten any better. See, friends, promises are only as strong as the person who makes them. An irresponsible person, and I know none of you here belong to that category, but let me talk about the other person, okay? The person who let you down, who broke her or his promise to you. That irresponsible person is someone who makes vague promises, then breaks his or her word and then you know what we do, blames it on circumstances and then expects other people to forgive it. We are very good at asking for forgiveness, right? Sorry. How many of us have, no, don't, don't, don't raise, and I shouldn't ask that question, not fair. How many of us find it very easy to say sorry because it's just a word? Words are cheap. What does a promise mean? Just look up, look at this cute uh, slide. This is what a promise says in simple words. What does it say? I will do what I say. That's it. If you don't plan to do it, don't say it. Whether 
it's something small like promising your wife i will do the dishes or something like promising your girlfriend i promise to stop smoking it's a big one by the way those who know what addiction is whether it's a big or small promise keeping a promise lays the foundation for trust and when we break a promise trust is broken that's what a promise is it's all about trust and this morning i want to talk about someone who always keeps his promise you know who i'm talking about a promise keeping god he is a promise maker and a promise keeper can someone give me is there a hymn book lying around somewhere yeah thank you and uh, the senior pastor as you know plans the services and uh, assigns the text and uh, i want to read this morning from the text on which this message is based galatians chapter 4 verses 4 to 7 it's coming up on the screen i invite you to read it with me but when the right time had come god sent his son born of a woman subject to the law god sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law <coughs> so that he could adopt us as his very own children and because we are his children god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out abba father now you are no longer a slave but god's own child and since you are his child God has made you his heir. This is a very rich passage and before I can uh deal with it uh rather focus on uh the main text for today to quickly give you the background the context. Okay, please follow me very quickly. I don't want to go too deep too much into this, but the the passage will not make sense unless I tell you this background. thank you so much wonderful you see whenever you want to make sense of a passage of scripture it's always wise before you jump to a conclusion about its meaning to read what goes before and after and what comes before galatians chapter 4 Galatians chapter 3 that wasn't a trick question it was just to check whether you're awake early in the morning okay and Galatians chapter 3 Paul actually surveys 2000 years of old testament history thank you very much i'm getting a lot of attention this morning 2000 years of old testament history summarized in that chapter and briefly three figures uh, two old testament figures that lead Paul's Uh, argument to the main new testament figure the two old testament figures are abraham and moses paul begins by telling us really where the old testament properly begins with god's not counting the creation narrative that god gives a promise to abraham and i will be reading this in detail before the end of the message but God's promise to Abraham was that he would through Abraham bless all the peoples of the earth 
through Abraham's descendants. So that promise was given to Abraham. But then Moses comes along and God gives the law to Moses. And the purpose of the law was to hold God's people in check until the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Okay? The law was given. Uh, Paul uses the language of tutor. And it's not tutor in today's sense of those who give tuitions, okay? It's someone who, until a person comes of age, represents that person. If, for instance, a child, uh, you know, parents die uh, in a rich household and this child inherits a huge amount of money. The child doesn't know how to spend it, right? So the parents will, in their will, just in case that happens, put someone who's a legal guardian. So the law is in that sense a legal guardian till the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. Are you with me? So Abraham, the promise comes. Law is given through Moses to hold the hand of God's people, to hold them in check until the fulfillment of the promise. And you know, when the promise is fulfilled, by the coming of Christ, the coming of, by the time of the coming of Christ, people have realized we cannot please God through keeping the law. It's impossible. So when they are desperate to connect with God and, and the law has failed, Jesus comes. So the law exposes sin and drives us to, to Christ. And through Christ, we inherit the promise God made to Abraham. That is the summary of the gospel and the summary of how the Old Testament history connects to Christmas, the coming of Jesus. So here's the thing, friends. God planned to send Jesus into the world much before the beginning of creation. God didn't just suddenly get an idea, right? 2,000 years uh, ago saying, you know what? The world is in trouble. Let me send Jesus. No, no. The Bible says before the creation of the world, God planned to send Jesus. Now it's in this context that we have to read Galatians chapter 4, which describes the moment in time and history when everything is in place and the stage is set for God's promise to Abraham to be fulfilled, for Christ to be born. Now let me read to you again Galatians 4.4 from a slightly different version. It says the same thing. If it comes up on the screen, read it with me, okay? But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Amen. That is Christmas. Perfect time, a perfect place. God sends the perfect person in fulfillment of his perfect plan. Amen. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. My message this morning, by the way, is very simple. It's about a promise-keeping God. And so the first thing I want to tell you, uh, it's not news to you, but how many of us know our God is a promise maker? Yeah, our God is a promise maker. I wish I could list 
or at least remind you of all the promises in the Bible. How many of you would like me to do that? You know, it would take quite a while. Let me warn you, okay? At a conservative estimate, there are over 8,000 promises. How many of you still want me to go through all of those? In fact, there are some who list, depending on how you interpret a promise in God's word, some list as many as 30,000 promises. And by the way, even 8,000 promises, even if you, if I take 30 seconds to read one, you'd be here for quite a while. In fact, more than two days. Any takers? No. So pastor, what are you going to do? I just want to focus on one promise. You can guess what that promise is. In fact, a few promises that relate to Christ's birth. Hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, the Old Testament records actually more than 300 promises or prophecies concerning Jesus. His arrival, his life, his death and resurrection. But among these 300 prophecies regarding the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, many centuries before Jesus was even born, the Old Testament predicted, foretold several details of his birth. For instance, we're all familiar with this, the prediction concerning the virgin birth. Excuse me. Matthew's description of Christ's birth in Matthew chapter 1 concludes with this statement. Let's read it with me, okay? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. And then he goes on to quote a prophecy made 700 years before. 700 years before, just think about it. 700 years before the year 2023. Somebody do the math. What will that be? Any math students here? Do you know what it, if somebody, anyone said something about you in 1723? That's the gap. I beg your pardon, wrong. 1323, I got it wrong. In the 14th century, Something that is said in the 14th century takes place today in the 21st century. For 700 years before Christ's birth, the prophet Isaiah had said, let's go on to read it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We sang this morning. I'll come to the fulfillment in a moment. But this is not the only prophecy Matthew records concerning the birth of Christ. He records prophecies concerning the location and the lineage of Christ. You remember when the wise men from the east come to King Herod in Jerusalem and ask him about the newborn king of the Jews. Herod of course had no intention of worshipping Jesus but he pretends to be interested and tells the wise men go when you find him tell me so I can worship him but then the wise men are warned that King Herod's intentions are not bona fide and so when Herod realizes he's strict he calls the chief priests and the teacher of the law and asks them where is the Christ child to be born and they quote to him the prophet Micah 
Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and this is recorded in Matthew chapter 2 verse 6 but you know this but let's read it together shall we but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel again 700 years before Jesus was born the prophet Micah predicts that Christ will be born in the little town of Bethlehem and not only that also implies that he will be a descendant of King David's tribe of Judah. So what do we have now? At least two things. One is the miraculous birth of Jesus to a virgin. Two, the location of Jesus' birth and his lineage. But there's more. The Bible, the Old Testament, had also predicted the failed attempt to kill the Christ child. There are at least three other prophecies in Matthew chapter 2. The first is in Matthew 2.15, quoting from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. I'll refer to this in a moment. Second prophecy, a voice is heard in Rama, Rachel weeping for her children, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 2, quoting from Jeremiah 31 verse 15, and also that he will be called a Nazarene. Again, quoting from Jeremiah 23 and uh, uh, chapter 20, uh, 33 as well. We'll talk about this a little more. So the first thing to, uh, to note here is our God is a God who makes promises. He's a promise maker. It's one thing to make promises, right? But many of you admitted right at the beginning that not many of us are able to keep our promises. But our God is not just a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. Turn to your neighbor and say that. It's early morning. Okay, pastor, why are you doing this? Just to help you stay awake. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is a promise keeper. And if you add a little more bread, say he's not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. Come on, come on. Some of you are doing it. Some of you are saying, pastor, you're wasting your breath. I'm not going to do it. You can say it as many times as you like. Our God is a promise keeper. Let me say it again. Our God is a promise keeper. And let me illustrate in every point that I just raised. The virgin birth, the virgin will conceive. Remember when the angel announced to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 34. She's, Mary's response is, how can this happen? I am a virgin. How did it happen? Miraculously, Jesus is con uh, was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary without the agency of a human father. And so that Joseph is not concerned at, this, uh, at the same time or soon after, Mary receives this word. An angel appears to Joseph and says, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' conception was a God-engineered exception to the laws of nature. So that when Mary asked, Lord, how can this be? I've never known a man. I'm a virgin. The answer, and you quote this so often, don't you? For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Here's the first thing we learn about God keeping his promises, friends. God will make the impossible possible 
in order to keep his promises will you read that with me god will make the impossible possible in order to keep his promises what about the location and lineage of christ you remember joseph and mary <coughs> they had to make a journey to bethlehem they were probably living in nazareth when the emperor caesar augustus issued the decree for a census to be made in all of the roman empire and because they were descendants of king david they had to go to the city of david bethlehem it was not convenient you know why they were poor travel anywhere at any time in history any long travel cost money they were poor but more importantly mary was in the last stages of her pregnancy the tail end of her pregnancy but get this god moved caesar augustus to take a census forcing mary and joseph to make the trip to bethlehem in time for jesus to be born there did it matter where jesus was born what was the harm if he was born in nazareth god's word god's promise that jesus would be born in bethlehem when micah's prophecy had to be fulfilled god works often through contrary circumstances to fulfill his promises sometimes we don't understand lord you know i can imagine what mary and joseph would be saying lord we received these supernatural visitations the angel told us that this is no ordinary birth then why do i have to undergo this arduous journey see friends keep in mind the fulfillment of god's promise doesn't mean that nothing will go wrong doesn't mean that the journey will not be difficult doesn't mean that along the way you will not be tested mary and joseph experienced this even though god's hand was on their life they had to make that difficult journey someone has calculated the probability uh, if you don't understand this uh, word called probability the math students will probably understand uh, don't worry about it but someone has calculated what is the chance let me use that word of jesus being born in bethlehem bethlehem by the way was a small town of between 2 to 3000 people what was the chance of micah's prophecy being fulfilled what was the what was the probability of jesus actually been born in bethlehem in fulfillment of micah's prophecy someone has calculated it it's 1 in 300000 1 in 300000 so what does that mean pastor if we were to you know walk into a room filled with 300 lakh eggs okay of course you have to be careful when you walk into a room full of eggs if there were 300000 eggs someone tells you you know one egg among this is boiled you have to find it how long do you think you it would take what is the possibility of you picking up that egg in the first instance well that's exactly how i can explain 
the human impossibility of Jesus having been born in Bethlehem if it wasn't for God's supernatural intervention. What does this teach us? God will move not just kings and emperors. God will not only change circumstances, God will move heaven and earth in order to keep his promises. Coming to the failed attempt to kill the Christ child. When Herod discovers that the wise men are not coming back, he has been deceived. He goes wild and orders the slaughter of all male infants in and around Bethlehem. An angel wants Joseph in a dream to flee to Egypt. It is then when two prophecies are fulfilled. Okay. Flight to Egypt. And then when Herod orders the slaughtering of babe, infants, male infants, of voices heard in Rama, mothers weeping for their children. But not only that, there's a third prophecy. After Herod, King Herod dies, Joseph is instructed in a dream to return to Israel. And he chooses to avoid going back to Judea because the son of Herod is king and he, uh, Joseph is still insecure. So he goes back instead to Nazareth in Galilee, fulfilling the third prophecy that identified Jesus as a Nazarene. What does this teach us? It teaches us that God will not allow Satan's schemes to stop him from keeping his promises. Amen. I don't know where you are now in your journey, friends. But so often you meet believers who say, you know, uh, God has made me this promise, but the enemy is opposing. You know what? God will never let Satan hinder the fulfillment of his promises in your life. Somebody say an amen. God is a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. And that leads me to my simple conclusion. All God's promises are yes and amen. All God's promises are yes and amen. I wonder if any of you have ever thought about why Jesus came when he did. I have. Why did Jesus come when he did? Could there be, have been a more appropriate time for him to come? What do you think? Come on, speculate. Some of you are very spiritual. No, I don't. Have you ever wondered why Jesus did not come earlier? Why wait? So many thousands of years for so many people to be, to, to be born. So many more people to reach. Right? If Jesus had come much earlier, there were fewer people in the world to be reached with the message. There's another school of thought. Perhaps you're saying, you know what? It was good. Uh, Jesus didn't come too early because... You know, it would have been hard to get the message across. He should have waited till the 20th century. You know why? If he had come in the age of internet, the whole world could have been reached in an instant with his message. Well, I'll stop speculating at that point. The Bible doesn't give us an explanation about God's timing. Paul simply says in Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness 
of time had come. Say with me, when the fullness of time had come. Friends, God is never early. Some of you are saying, Lord, you're promised. Why is it happening? I'm sorry, God is never early. Nor is he ever. He's always on. But he's never in a. Let me try that again. God is never. Nor is he ever. He is always. He is never in a. Let me illustrate it from the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. God waits several millennia before he sets this plan of salvation into motion. Before he calls Abraham. And then he waits another thousand years before he sends Jesus. Jesus has promised to come back, yes? Even from the first century onwards, people have mocked that. Because today people say, well, 2,000 years he didn't come. Because the Bible does say, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Okay, Never forget, for God, he doesn't think in terms of time. He created time. But scholars who have studied this, uh, this text, Galatians 4.4, suggest to us, it's only a suggestion, why this must have been the perfect time. When, we, when Paul speaks of the fullness of time, why it was very appropriate. There are various factors and I want to run through them quickly. First of all, the world was never as connected as it was at the time of Jesus. Prior to this era, the world had never been as connected. The Romans, as you know, had been in power. They had conquered much of the then known world and there was a period of global peace and stable government. You know the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? How many of you have heard that? <coughs> it goes back to this time. Romans were great builders and they, they built roads to most parts of the world. Of course, not to, for the furtherance of the gospel. They built it so they could control their empire. They could, wherever there was trouble, the armies could reach the troublesome spot. They connected the roads. You know what this did? It enabled the gospel message of Jesus to spread quickly to all parts of the world. That's why Paul could say at the end, I think of his epistle to the Thessalonians, the gospel has gone to every corner of the, of the then known world. So first and foremost, it was a connected world. Secondly, for the first time in history, the world was connected through a common language. Greek was established as a common language throughout the empire. Again, that's why the New Testament is written in Greek. Wherever the gospel went, Greek could be read and understood. Excuse me. <coughs> it was also a time of great need. <coughs> it was a confused religious and moral climate. Greek and Roman religion had declined. It was a period of morbid decline, darkness. During which time, the Jews who were scattered all over the world had centers called synagogues where the truth of the Old Testament was expounded. This paved the way for the spread of the gospel because wherever the early apostles went, they went first to the synagogue 
preached to the Jews and then went and shared with the Gentiles. Our God is a promise-keeping God. All his promises are yes and amen. And I want to close by illustrating this through two big promises of which we are living in the fulfillment. Big one, I refer to right at the beginning of this message, is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God's promise to Abraham. Please read it with me. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God makes this promise to Abraham. You remember how old Abraham was when God made this promise? 75 years. God repeats this promise to him when he's 90. Guess why? Because Abraham still doesn't have even one son. When does God fulfill his promise? When Abraham is a hundred years old and his wife Sarah, probably 90. What, how does God fulfill his promise? One single son. And Abraham is saying, Lord, you said my descendants will be. By this time, God has reiterated his promise and said, your, your children will be like the stars in the sky. And then God asks him to do something that can only be described as absurd. He says, okay, Abraham, do you love me? Yes. I want you to take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. The promise of God is seemingly contradicted by God's very words. But what does Abraham do? In obedience to God, he agrees to sacrifice his son. You know the rest of the story. God stops him and then God makes him this promise. Because you have obeyed me, not withheld even your, own, your son, your only son. Genesis 22 verses 16 and 17. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And notice this. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky. And the sand in the seashore. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Let me, uh, let me ask you to follow quickly how God fulfills his promise. God makes this promise to Abraham. How many children does God give Abraham? One. How many children does Isaac have, Abraham's son? Two. Fulfillment of his promises to Jacob. How many children does Jacob have? One of the sons, Judah, becomes the father of David, who is the father of Jesus. 2,000 years later, the birth of Jesus is celebrated by at least 2.3 billion people across the planet. Those who claim to be his followers. But did you know Christmas is celebrated in at least 160 countries across the globe? 
Let me say this again. God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled where 3,000 years later, the whole world is filled with the descendants of Abraham. God is a promise-keeping God. And guess what? Yeah, you can clap. 2.3 billion. You know how much a billion is? It's one followed by nine zeros. It's a lot of people, right? Not exactly stars in the sky and sand in the seashore. But guess what? This promise is yet still being fulfilled. And you and I are part of the fulfillment. You and I are part of the descendants of Abraham. And it continues to be fulfilled. It will continue to be fulfilled until all hear the good news. I said two promises. The first is the promise to Abraham. You know what the second one is? His second coming. Every Advent season, every Christmas is a reminder that our God is a promise-keeping God. Amen. He has promised to return. He's coming back. Let me say that again. And let all those who believe it say something back, okay? I said, Jesus said, he's coming back. Let's stand in God's presence. Friends, just before I call our senior pastor to come and close the service in prayer, I want you to read with me this verse from 2 Corinthians 1.20. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God will do what he says. Pastor, on what basis do you say that? Let's read this together, shall we? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All his promises are? And all God's promises are? Just before Pastor Patrick comes, yes. I want you to close your eyes in God's presence, friends. And as the musicians begin to play, we are in God's presence. Please don't switch off. This is an important time. I want you to look into your life as you look back upon this last year. Has God made you promises? You see, friends, I'm not asking you about wishful thinking. I'm not asking you if there's something you want and you're claiming it as God's promise. No, no. That's presumption, not faith. But has God made you a promise of His intervention? in your health his intervention in your career you've been asking him for something and he promised you but it's not yet fulfilled this morning I want to encourage you this Christmas season it took hundreds of years for the promise to be fulfilled don't be impatient don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. 
Don't say in your heart, well, God has not kept his promises. Don't grumble. Most of all, don't go, let go of your trust in God. Remember what I said? A promise is only as strong as the person who makes it. And the word of God likens our God to a rock. An unshakable, unchanging rock who always keeps his word. He makes the impossible possible. He will move heaven and earth to keep his word to you. And he will never allow the enemy to hinder his promise from coming to pass in your life. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.